today's reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, uh, 10th chapter, beginning in the 32nd verse. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and they great and they and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so amongst you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever must be and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Thanks for reading, Dan. Um, Before our speaker, the man who's going to be preaching the word of God to us, comes up here, I just want to um, give a brief introduction so that you all know who this guy is who's standing up here preaching God's word to you. Um, for the, over this past weekend, several guys in our congregation had the chance to be at a joint men's retreat with guys from Maranatha Grace Church in New Jersey. And um, if, you, if you weren't able to be there, you missed out. I should say, well, if you, weren't, if, you didn't have, if you weren't able to be there, you missed out. But if you weren't able to be there and you were a, a guy, you, you especially missed out. The rest of you have an excuse for not being there. But those of you who are guys, you really did miss out. But we're, we're going to try and make the, um, the audio from that, uh, from that retreat available to you. Um, it was a great time of, of fun. Um, 
As a matter of fact, Rob Neckles, this man sitting right here, um, nailed a half-court shot and thereby earned us a trophy as a church that's sitting right here in the hands of Reed Monahan. Yeah, yeah. I won't tell you how he did in the slam dunk contest. We won't even talk about that because that was stupendous. But um, it was also a time of, of fellowship between brothers from different churches. It was a time of getting equipped and encouraged to equipped and encouraged to engage thoughtfully with the gospel, to engage thoughtfully the, the people that God's put us put in our lives who are outside of the kingdom of God because they don't know Jesus yet and they haven't trusted and believed him. We, we were encouraged to engage those folks with love and with compassion and patience in the same way that Christ did and does, and we were equipped to do that. And the, the guy who was equipping us and leading us through that weekend of instruction and fellowship is also our speaker this, uh, this afternoon at New Hope. His name is Reed Monahan. He's a, he's a friend of mine, and, and, and uh, I, I hope... That, that this is not, and I pray that this is not the last time that he's here, because I want him to become a friend to, to all of us as a, as a church. Um, he was a pastor of a, of a church that he and a group of, of brothers and sisters planted in central New Jersey. And um, he served at Jacob's Well, that's the church. If any of you know any, any people who are in central Jersey and are looking for a church or need a church, I would encourage you to... Send them in the direction of Jacob's Well. Tell them to look up jacobswellnewjersey.org. Is there? Yeah. It's a great congregation, a great body. Um, while being the pastor of that church, he also directed and, and, and led the, the regional um, chapter of Acts 29, which is a church planting. You've probably heard that, that name for me in the past, but it's a church planting network that Maranatha Grace, my previous church, had an opportunity to be a part of. Reed led us as pastors in the New Jersey area, and as the director of that, that, that Acts 29 region, he proved himself to be not only a pastor of his church, but a pastor to pastors, a shepherd to shepherds, and, and that's why I, I really, really appreciate his ministry and love him as a brother. Um, now, he's living in Virginia. He left Jersey. Um, I don't know why anyone would, would do that, but well, I did that too, I guess. So I can't I can't I can't say anything about that. But he's back in he's in Virginia, and he's leading a, a ministry called Power of Change, and he continues through Power of Change to serve local churches and pastor pastors, shepherd shepherds. Um, so I'm very very I've been very eager to have Reed up here. To, to share the gospel with us. I'm glad that he was willing to take time out of a very busy schedule to do that. This today, as he preaches to us, this is the sixth time he'll be preaching since Friday night. So he's, um, he's he probably won't tell you, but he's exhausted and he's fatigued. So um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will be able to preach the gospel to us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can listen eagerly and, and engage with the truth that he's engaging us with. All right, so let's welcome our brother up. All right. I'm short, um, so I always try to move these tall pulpits off to like, like, like this so I can not feel so little. Um, I was a college wrestler uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill where they love basketball. Um, so I always felt short there. 
uh, and I had a funny year, and so I had to get, get that little wrestler thing over. But it's been great for me to be back in the New York City metro area. Uh, my family moved to New Jersey on purpose. We say that as part of it because people are like, why you move to New Jersey? The taxes are high and the people are crazy. I like, well, that's why we're going there. There needs to be a gospel movement in New Jersey. My wife grew up on a farm in North Carolina, which is just like New Jersey. Um, not really. Uh, but for whatever reason, I, I fit in really well in New Jersey. Uh, it was a culture I enjoyed immensely. Uh, even last night, I, I drove uh, Juan, Juan Clark's car, which is a manual stick shift, um, through like all this traffic. And, it, and I was like humming the song from, you guys have seen that anime uh, series, uh, Speed Racer? I'm a child of the 70s, so Speed Racer. And I was saying, go Speed Racer, go Speed Racer. I was like sh- shifting down and just feeling being back in this area and amongst you, even today eating some wonderful food uh, with friends after uh, early church gathering at Maranatha Grace and anticipating uh, number six of six, but being here with you guys. Uh, Rob and Delamar, their family, we've known them for eight years, I, I suppose now, um, and, and wonderful, wonderful friends. And so I'm so thankful uh, to God uh, for them and that they were sent to you. What a, what a great uh, uh, partnership in the gospel that's forming in this part of God's world. Today, uh, I, I, I knocked some rust off uh, this morning at Maranatha Grace because I, I was doing pulpit ministry at Jacob's Well for seven years. And now I'm traveling and speaking in a very, very, I'm speaking more than ever. Uh, but it was nice to be back into a rhythm of teaching the scriptures uh, to a congregation. So thanks for having me to do this. Um, and if I'm a little rusty, uh, forgive me. But I'm thankful to be in the Gospel of Mark with you this morning. My message is simply entitled, The Way of Jesus in Leadership. The Way of Jesus in Leadership. If you think about the world, right, human societies have always organized themselves, usually starting, right, with the family, the family unit, and then expanding outward to various uh, configurations. I would use the word politics. It's such a word that's so full of love and light today, but into political configurations, usually for the provision of communities and the protection of communities, always requiring leadership. So leadership is part of being a human being. Unfortunately, human beings were created by God to have God as their leader. To have God as their king. When God created human beings in the beginning, he made us male and female in the image of God in order to represent the rule and reign of our creator on the earth. Sin fractured this. Sin broke this. And so human beings, in essence, in rebellion against God and his purposes, said we're going to be our own leaders. And as such, the downstream results in human history of just leadership unhinged from the person of our creator, the person of Christ, has, let's say, been mixed in its results. And if you want to be less charitable like I would, it's been disastrous. In fact, um, leadership unhinged, right, from God can be oppressive, destructive, self-serving, and cruel. Leadership in a human sense, apart from the lordship of Christ, can be oppressive, destructive, self-serving, and cruel. But as we begin, let me ask you a question. How many of you here today, this afternoon, are a leader? Raise your hand. Okay, three of you. Okay, let me ask that question again. 
How many of you here this afternoon are a leader? Everyone raise your hand. Because no matter how big your circle of influence is, God has charged you, we might call it discipline, to the task of leading at least one. You have to get yourself out of bed in the morning and do something. We're all followers, but we're all leaders in various spheres. Question is, where are we going? Who are we following? And then how do we lead in the way of our own leadership? You might uh, move away from just leading yourself to maybe leading folks in your family, businesses, career. And God may set some of his people uh, in really huge positions of influence and leadership. The question, though, for us is how will we lead? Leadership is important to God. He's designed our lives to be led by him and then to lead one another to him, his purposes and his mission, but in a certain way. So that's my question today. What sort of leadership does God want for us? And what kind of leaders ought we to be for his glory and the blessing and good of other people? Let's pray together as we go to God's word today. Father, thank you that you are a good father. You are the best leader. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that we call you Lord, uh, which means you're the one that's in charge of life uh, and our lives, even my life, God. Lord, I just pray that we would learn what it means to be submitted to you as our king, but then also uh, to be leaders in your way in this world for your purposes. God, give us insight, wisdom, understanding into the scriptures today. Uh, bring them to light by your Holy Spirit that we might be changed and we might become deeper worshipers of you and then be about your purposes in the world and even the way we might lead others. Give us clarity and hope in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. And so um, I was at a disadvantage as a young man, as a new Christian in college. I didn't know any of the books of the Bible. I even made some jokes with the guys at the men's retreat about that. And so I always want to be a servant to you if you're here today and you're new to this uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, book, Library of Scriptures. The Bible is segmented into two major sections. The Old Testament, which contains the promises of God pointing forward to the coming of the Messiah or the great King Jesus. The New Testament records the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and also some important writings of his early followers that leads the church on mission, all inspired by God, all inspired by the Spirit. In the New Testament, there are four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are sort of theological biographies. They're about the life of Jesus, what he did, who he, who he interacted with, what he taught and said. And they're also about the central event of his life, which isn't his birth at Christmas, but it was his death that we celebrate that was on a cross of crucifixion. He died and was risen from the dead. And the gospels uh, contain these wonderful vignettes on who he is. Now, they are historical, they are biographical, but they're also theological in that they teach us about who God is and who Jesus is as the Son of God. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It's a super fast-paced book, lots of action. Jesus, in fact, this word is repeated in Mark a lot, immediately, immediately. Jesus is doing this, he's doing that. And it is arranged in such a way to teach us something. And if you want to think of the Gospel of Mark as a book, I like to think of it as a mountaintop. And at the very beginning of Mark, there's this statement in chapter 1 that says that, hey, the kingdom of God, 
the rule and reign of God is here. Repent, which means turn from sin and self to God. Repent and believe the good news. From that point, what, is, what happens is that Jesus begins to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here and that he's the king. And so the big mystery of, of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus' very own identity. And he shows himself to be sovereign Lord over nature, over the demonic realm. He shows himself to be this great king through miracles. And the disciples, his closest friends and followers, they don't understand who he is. But if you're reading, you're thinking, these guys are dummies. They don't see what's so evidently being on display, the character of this king. And at the high point of the Gospel of Mark, in the very beginning, in the very middle, in chapter 8, this wonderful thing happens. The light goes on. And one of Jesus' best friends, a man named Peter, uh, Jesus is interacting with him, saying, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they say, some say this, some say that, some say this. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. And in this moment, the clarity that's been building, building up the mountaintop of the Gospel of Mark comes to, comes to fruition. Jesus is the chosen Messiah, the Christ, the King of God, come to save the world. And from that mountaintop, it's, it's straight down to Jerusalem. And Jesus begins to tell them what his mission is. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going there. I'm going to die. Now, this is shocking news for his friends, right? Because they're thinking, wow, we're, we're on the take over the world team. And all of a sudden, my mission actually is to die at the hands of these people that are kind of the oppressors in their world. And our story, we pick up in that trip towards Jerusalem. And we'll see the third time in which he tells them, this is what I'm going to do. So pick it up with me in your Bible in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We will look at three segments of Scripture. I've simply called the first segment the preparation of the people. The second session, the way of the Lord in leadership. And the third section, the blindness of humanity. The preparation of the people, the way of the Lord in leadership, and then the blindness of humanity. Look with me at Mark 10, verse 32, where we see the preparation. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus is walking ahead of them. He's their leader. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Now, the interesting thing here is that they know why he's going towards Jerusalem. And they're shocked by it. They're amazed by it. They're looking at him out in front and saying, wow, he's really going to do this. This is really what's going to happen. And they are afraid. The reason why is that he's going to die. And they're not so sure about this plan. We see this again as we continue reading in the end of verse 32, and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, so Romans, and that they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And then after three days, he will rise. So this is the third time he tells kind of his team the game plan. Here's what we're going to do. And he adds a little bit in this third time in the Gospel of Mark where he's telling them the plan. 
He adds this phrase, the Gentiles, which means the context of who will kill him, uh, the, the Roman Empire. And then he adds these wonderful, wonderful words. I call these the happy words in our text today. They're going to be, there's going to be mocking, making fun of him. There's going to be spitting on. There's going to be flogging. And there's going to be killing of Jesus. Now, can you imagine that you're in Jesus' group of friends? And you're going to Jerusalem. He's leading you there. And he's saying, hey, here's what's going down. All these happy terms, right, that aren't happy, they're brutal, right? What would you be thinking? What would be what's going through your mind if you were being informed by your leader that this is the plan? Now, with that, with that, with that before us, what the disciples, or at least some of them, are thinking is profoundly shocking, Because we see two of the leaders of the disciples are going to come up to Jesus and engage him on the way, on the way to Jerusalem to die. James and John, verse 35, the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Shocking. Jesus is on this mission. Jesus has this plan. And they're thinking of who? Themselves. They're thinking only of what's in it for them. Verse 36, and Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to put that question in a bookmark in your mind. What do you want me to do for you? Is what Jesus asked them. Don't forget that question. And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. You see, they knew that Jesus was the Christ. That meant a great king. He was going to be the leader of God's people, the promised one. And when he brought this glorious kingdom, they wanted to be assured of their own position. Look, they were smart enough to know that the position of CEO or king was already taken, right? But they had enough guile to come and ask for, uh, okay, can, can I be COO and uh, CFO of the kingdom of God? They were angling themselves for these positions in the kingdom. Now, the interesting thing about the Gospels is that Matthew's Gospel adds a little detail uh, to this story that I just personally find a little funny, okay? And it reads this way, because they had, a, they had an agent, let's say, for their business dealings. They had a representative who would help them uh, into uh, obtaining the positions that they desired. And Matthew's gospel tells us about this. This is in Matthew 20, verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. I like to imagine she walked up to him like this. Came up with her kids, kneeling before him, and she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your left and one at your right hand in the kingdom of heaven. It might just be me. 
But if you have to have your mom mail out your LinkedIn resume to get you the CFO, COO job in the kingdom of heaven, you might not be ready for the job. You might, you might want a, an entry-level position if mom is your agent, right? Now, the interesting thing um, about Jesus is that he is a wonderful, kind teacher of his people. Think about it. If, if I were going, if, I, if, if, if hypothetically I'm leading this team, I'm going on this game plan, and they're thinking only about themselves, being hyper-selfish, trying to uh, self-exalt themselves in the midst of it. If it's me, I'm wanting to stick my forehead in their chest, pick them up in a wrestling move, stick them on the ground, cut them from the team. Just me. No, I wouldn't be a good... I'm not a, I'm, Jesus is much, much different in that he's kind and he's patient and he's willing to teach them about something in the midst of this self-seeking question that they asked. Jesus said to them, verse 38, you do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? Now this question about cups, right? He's not like he's got a cup with his name Jesus on it. You know, you've been to, you know, where you put your name on your cup. Um, Jesus, James, and John, hey, are they going to have the same cup? This cup is an Old Testament image. And when Jesus said, are you able to drink this cup? What he had in mind was that he was going to Jerusalem to drink the cup of the wrath of God and dying for the sins of the world. The Old Testament uses the cup illustration very clearly. For instance, this is in, the, in Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup foaming with wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. In other words, God delivers a cup of wrath to the wicked that they might drink it in. This came from an ancient Near Eastern practice, actually, where kings would give their defeated foes a, a, a cup of their own death, where they'd say, hey, you were defeated, conquered, my wrath upon you, drink, drink to your own destruction. In fact, we see this again in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 51, 17. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl the cup of staggering. Baptism here is not uh, referencing Christian baptism, which uh, the pastoral team will here teach a class today about. Here he's talking about that he is going to Jerusalem to be plunged into calamity and death. The cup of God's wrath being plunged into this, what I'm doing, are you ready for this? Now their answer is very simple. Verse 39, and they said to him, we're able Kind of, you know, real quick, we're in. Yeah, we're in. In their minds, right, whatever takes us to what we want. Again, they want positions of prominence, positions of glory. We're in. Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. 
You see, they were seeking glory, but Jesus wanted them to know that glory came through death first, suffering first, before resurrection comes in glory. Now, if I were to ask you if in your place of business, the place that you work, that there were some self-promoters who are maybe going through the political process in inter-office politics, maybe going around the normal procedures, kissing up to the boss perhaps, just in order for their own advancement at the expense of others, including you. How do you feel about those people? I just want to give them the hug, right? Like, oh, look at them, how cute, self, self-promoting people. Well, the effect, the effect of this type of business by James and John had an effect not only on their relationship with the way they saw themselves in relationship to God, it had an effect on the community of the disciples. How do we know? Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse, 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now this word for indignant is a very strong word in the original text of the New Testament. It means a strong sense of outrage, almost like a confused vexation leading to anger, like cross look, what? And, and it has an object. They're mad, but not just generally mad. They're mad at these guys. And it creates a mess, creates a mess out of the community. We know Now, before we think all the, the, the ten are the innocent victims of these guys' anglings, it's very quite likely in this text, that the other ten were mad because why do they get to be that? We know that because Jesus doesn't teach and correct just the two. He brings them all together. He brings them all together to teach them something very important about his kingdom and about the way of leadership that he wants for his people. Look with me at verse 42. Jesus called them, all of them, to himself and said to them, You know that those are considered rulers of the Gentiles. Lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. You see, these folks lived in a world that had a political and military power over them. They were ruled by an empire. And that empire did not have as its core values humility. In fact, they valued their heroes being dominant warriors who stomped down other people and then they would throw them triumphal parades in celebration. Many times with captives in chains behind the glorious ruler. So when Jesus says to them, you know, He's speaking to them about something that they understood because they had seen this kind of leadership. He calls it lord over. They lord it over. They love to be an authority. Have any of you ever experienced that in this world? People who love to lord over others? People who love to be at the top of the organizational chart or food chain? You ever seen that, anyone? You can participate. Nobody. Come on, you Breaking, breaking Ten Commandments now, right? You've seen this, right? I've only been around godly people, Reed. I've never seen this sort of thing in my life. I... He told them, you know that those are considered rulers in this world. They love to lord it over others. Their great ones exercise authority over them. 
And Jesus, in interacting with them and saying this to them, is going to do something very, very kind to them. He's going to tell them as they look out and see that sort of leadership in the world, he's going to give them an answer to their question. He's going to tell them something about this self-seeking way, about this self-exalting way, about this way of the world. He's simply going to tell them no. No. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. To his friends, he said, there's a different way for the family of God. There's a different way of leadership to be exercised in his kingdom. It's different than the way of the world. But for whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus tells us there is a greatness in the kingdom. But it's an unexpected greatness. It's a greatness that's different than the world's view of greatness. He uses two words, diakonos, the word for deacon. You guys probably heard that word. He said the, great, the greatest is a deacon, a servant, and the greatest of all among you is a doulos or a bond slave. It's a word that means completely submitted to a master. The great ones in the kingdom are not the ones that want to put crowns on their heads, but rather they would take the form of those who serve others. This was modeled by Jesus himself in so many ways. Jesus is the one that put a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his friends. Why? Because that was the role of a household slave. And he wanted to teach them something, not just in what he said, but what he did. And now Jesus is going to give them his way of leadership. It's not Lord over. It's something different. Verse 45, he speaks of himself, right? Kind of in the third person. When people do that, that's kind of weird, right? You ever heard someone talk about themselves in the third person? When I was younger, a guy named Bob Dole ran for president. Um, I think Bill Clinton beat him. Um, and he used to talk about himself. Well, Bob Dole would do this, Bob Dole. I'm like, that's just weird, right? Um, but when Jesus does it, it's kind of awesome because... He's Jesus, right? So here's what he does. He's going to talk about himself in that way. He says, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's so much theological richness in that statement. We could talk in depth about what it means for him to ransom us, to buy us back with his own life, paying the penalty for our sins, taking the cup of the wrath of God for himself, to set us free from being prisoners to sin, death, and his judgment. There's a lot bound up. There's his substitutionary death as, a, as an offering for sin for others in this verse. But what he's, what he's saying there is that the, the highest example of being a servant is the one who is highly exalted. Jesus is the one through whom the Father created the world. He is the sovereign one. He is God become flesh. And even that highness chooses the path of lowness and service by willing to even die for people. 
There's no better model for leadership than Jesus the Christ. And there's no greater expression of his love and service to humanity than his substitutionary offering of himself, his death for sin. That is the greatest of greatness. And he wants his people to take up the mantle of leadership, not like this, but by serving others in his name. Now, the very next story that we'll end on today is about a blind guy. So look at, look at the structure that Mark is, is giving us. He's got this clear statement of Jesus' purpose, going to Jerusalem to die. All of a sudden, the, but these guys aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about what? Themselves, coming up and being, being the show. And then at the very after that story, we see this story about a blind guy. How, how do these things fit? Look at verse 46. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great, in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Okay? This is one of those things that translates throughout time and history very easily. In Jesus' day, blind beggar, you need to hear someone who's in a really bad shape in society. And he, he, he was sitting by the side of the road. And we heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out, saying, this is verse 47, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I hope what you hear in this is this blind beggar actually can see some things pretty clearly. He hears it's Jesus that's coming. And then he comes and calls out and identifies him as the son of David, right? The promise in the Old Testament known as the Davidic covenant was a promise made to David and his offspring forever that on the throne of the people of God forever and ever would be the son of David. So he's identifying Jesus for who he actually is, the coming promised king. And he also knows that Jesus is the one in which he can find Mercy. He can find mercy. The scripture continues the crowd around him. Many rebuked him. Shut up, man. Be quiet. Stop making a scene. Don't mess up our church service. They told him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what happens next? You got your bookmark, remember? The question that Jesus asked those guys, James and John. What happens next is literally amazing. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. So here now we have a blind man being summoned by Jesus. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. He, he ran to him. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Does that question sound a little familiar? You see, what do you want me to do for you is the exact same question that he asked James and John. And their answer was quite different than this blind man, Bartimaeus. The blind man said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. 
And Jesus said to him, Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, this is that word in Mark, immediately it's the action of God. He recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Here we see a person who's presented to us as a blind man, but he's identifying Jesus for who he is. And when asked uh, by Jesus what he wants, he doesn't reply in this kind of uh, uh, exalting myself way. He rather calls out for mercy, asking simply to be able to see. Now the miracles of Jesus aren't just some supernatural magic show, right, in the New Testament. They're very purposeful. And they say something. In fact, the eyes, even the fact that we're created as beings that have eyes. Think about it for a second. This this phenomenon, which has all sorts of amazingly, wonderfully designed biology involved. This phenomenon, God actually in his word uses to teach something about the souls of women and men. That that the blindness of sin is relieved in salvation by making the blind see. See, this man gets a different pair of eyes when Jesus says, your faith, your faith has made you well. Now look, I, I believe in the supernatural power of God to heal people as God so chooses. I believe in prayer uh, in healing people. Not always, though, but this healing points to something far greater than mere physical sight. Because his faith, faith the word faith in the New Testament, I, I think the word trust as well. Where is your reliance? Who are you trusting for these things? Where are you going for your help? Who's really the one that you trust in guiding your life? See, his faith was not in himself or his abilities or his position or his possessions. His faith was in the son of David, Jesus, the one in which he could find mercy. Mercy. Now, the very last few words of our passage are very interesting because it says, and this man followed him on the way. Now, our passage begins, wait, going to Jerusalem. And now this man is following Jesus through suffering to glory. This interlude in the middle about leadership was a necessary correction to get them back on the path. What is a Christian? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we're asked that. Like, you know, somebody's from a different religious perspective or, or, or has rejected religious belief. Or what, what is a Christian? That's a very important question for the world to know. Well, here, I think it's clear. A Christian is a blind person who can now see. A person who trusts Jesus in his plan and follows Jesus. Unlike the dumb, dumb disciples in the Gospel of Mark, here the blind man gets his his faith in Jesus, making Jesus central is where he has mercy and forgiveness and restoration for his life. And he joins Jesus on his way. When you think about leadership in our world today, there's a great opportunity for people who love Jesus and follow him. Uh, that your presence, your love, your grace as a Christian leader should open the door and open other people's eyes to point to, not to yourself, but to the great leader himself, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. There are simply too many today who even use the church for self-exaltation, seeking a place for themselves rather than seeking to serve. To us, Jesus graciously tells us no, that his path is the way of the servant, and his path is the one that leads him to set people free. Anybody ever seen this movie that just came out called Hacksaw Ridge? You guys haven't seen that yet? It's by Crazy Mel Gibson. It's his Crazy Mel Gibson's uh, newest movie. Um, some of you shouldn't see that due to its rating. It is a war movie that highlights a, a, a gentleman named Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss uh, has this conviction that he doesn't want to kill people, but he's not like a full pacifist. In other words, he signs up for the military in World War II, and he wants to go as a medic. So he's going to help people who get shot up and killed while the army invades. So he's not a complete pacifist, but yet he doesn't want to kill people. That's kind of his story. Philosophically, don't figure him out. It's hard to do. It's a little inconsistent. I get it. But he signs up, and they don't like him. You don't want to fight with us? What are you, what are you wimpy? What, what is this? We don't like this about you. He said, I really believe that God does not want me to kill people. But what happens is that his unit goes into the Battle of Okinawa at the, at the conclusion of the war in the Pacific. And they literally have to scale this cliffside and they go into the teeth of all this modern scientific weaponry. And they just get, they just get tore up, man. And this man, over and over again, all night long, goes and rescues those that were lost, shot up, and left for dead. So much that they say, where are all these people coming from? Where are these wounded guys coming from? And he keeps saving them, and saving them, and saving them. So much that this man that was despised and called a coward, this unit would not go into the final stage of the battle without him standing with them to pray for them before they went up the hill one final time. And all he just said is, I, I was here to serve. I was here to take care of these men. In this, in this person, they saw a leader who led differently. He was willing to die for them and not kill anybody. And he saved, I, don't know, I think like 75 of them that would have been left for dead. We have an opportunity in this world as followers of Christ, young, old, whatever sphere of leadership God places you in, to love and to serve in the way of Jesus and they be instruments of the gospel of grace where God extends his mercy because Jesus died for people and God raised him from the dead for the justification of his people. And many around us will be rescued and saved eternally because of God's grace through his messengers, his church, his body, his people. All glory and praise to him, not to us. But what a privilege we have to lead differently than the world around us for the glory and fame of the Savior's name. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much uh, that we who've been forgiven much, so much, I pray we'd be people that forgive much as well. Uh, that we've who've been brought so high in Jesus, <laughs> that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, fully by grace, that we would be called to stay humble on this earth, to serve and love like Jesus. 
And Father, because we've been fully loved, that we might love you as worshipers and then love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Jesus, thank you for the most excellent way that you showed us that greater love has no one than this, than that one lay his life down for his friends. Father, you send us into this world in, the, in a like manner uh, as your church, as your body, um, as your ambassadors, that we might proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that we've tasted and seen that you are good, and that many others would see, wow, Jesus is really different. You are really different, Jesus, than, than any of the leaders around this planet. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for overcoming the enemies of sin and death. And God, thank you for rescuing us fully and saving us so that we might live uh, in a new world someday as new people renewed forever in the kingdom that we might sing the praises of, of the Lamb forever and ever and ever to the glory of your Father whose purpose and plan was to rescue a world darkened by sin and death. Lord, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.